Christ above us, Christ below us, Christ before us, Christ behind us, Christ be with us. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. So now, after all these years, you found out where I get that prayer from. <laughs> I want to thank you for singing a really long and weird hymn for the sequence hymn. <laughs> it's my favorite hymn, so Kirk, Kirk let me pick some of the music today. And it was funny when uh, I wanted everyone to be quiet to hear Os Kane Oscar play. And he said, oh, do you have something in flute you're like? And I said... Well, the only thing I could think of was l'après-midi d'enfant, because that's the one piece we all remember from music appreciation in college. <laughs> and they played it. Uh, wow. And it's, it's great to be laughing together. We have, we have enjoyed a lot of laughter, and we've also enjoyed a lot of, of tragedy together, you know, a lot of hard things together. Um, and, and, you know, uh, a, a puppeteer of all people named John Ludwig once said to me, uh, well, you know, and someone else said this for sure, you know, comedy happens to you, but tragedy happens to me. <laughs> and that's true, isn't it? Um, and, and today in, in the gospel, um, if when I, the more I read it, the more uh, funny I thought it was, because um, here this young man asks a really good question. I mean, Jesus is this wise teacher who's been teaching and preaching, and of course, you know, he's, he's sitting in, in, you know, rural Judea, and he's thinking, I need somebody to help me with this. Of course, he goes to the local wise man, to the, to the itinerant rabbi, and says, hey, would you help me split up my father's estate? Um, which is a perfectly good question. And then Jesus, and I could just imagine probably, probably Judas kind of uh, going, oh, here he goes. Uh, <laughs> you know, because, of course, the man, the young man wants some help with something to do with money. And hate to break it to you, folks. Uh, we think Jesus talks about love more than anything. Jesus talks about money more than anything. <laughs> it's true. No, it's, 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 it's in the Bible. Um, <laughs> How often do we get to say that as Episcopalians? <laughs> but, but, you know, you ask a really good question. He gets more than he bargained for because Jesus says, well, I, let me tell you a story. And, and you know, um, this is one of those stories when we hear it, one of those teachings that, that naturally, um, as, as Americans and naturally as people who are, I think it's safe to say, I mean, look around you, are fairly affluent Americans. Um, this is something that raises our hackles, that when we see this coming up in the gospel, uh, we as preachers go, oh, I've got to do my annual money sermon. And then you out there, doubly so, go, oh, here comes the money sermon. Um, and you're not going to get the money sermon today, don't worry. Um, although it is a running fantasy that all preachers have of that last sermon they're going to do. Um, <laughs> In particular, the last sermon we're ever going to do, this is not that sermon. <laughs> At least I hope not. Um, and as we read the story, one good way into this story, because first of all, is, is to pay attention to those things that, that raise our anxieties or raise our, our hackles. Um, 
the other thing is, is to see which character in the story relates the most to us. Um, I really relate to the people wanting to split up the estate because uh, Patricia and I have been doing estate planning lately, and, and some friends of mine have too. Uh, some of you may have experienced death, may have been ex- uh, be executor of a state. That relates to you. Uh, maybe you are uh, the two young men or the, uh, the unseen young man wanting help with how to deal with your possessions. Um, there's this even better practice that uh, I wish I had made up, but the Jesuits made up, um, where when you read a story, you become... you read the story in light of every single character in the story, even some of the inanimate objects. So you might be the, uh, the, the barns that the, the young f- the farmer's going to build. You might be the crops. You might be people standing on the edge of the crowd listening to the story. Um, and it's interesting when you do that because then you go back and think about, well, which, which character was most relatable to me um, and why? Um, and another interesting thing in this story is that, is that God is a character who has dialogue in the story. And not only that, but God kind of curses at the young man. Jesus uses a bad word. God calls the young man a fool, um, which is which not a good thing to be called back then, ever, really. Um, and if you think through this, um, it it's, it's doesn't take a lot of, of imagination um, if you want to figure out which character this church is, just take a lot of imagination to go, and, and I think we might all have some consensus in the room, well, this church is the young farmer, right? Um, we are the young farmer in the story because we are a church with so much abundance. I mean, you think about uh, just what we listened to at the beginning of the service and all the work that went into that and how we're uh, the recipient uh, of, of the miracle that is live music. When you look around you and you look at this room and you look at this facility, I mean, this place sits uh, on some of the most expensive real estate in Atlanta that we sit on in this crossroads right here um, at North Avenue and West Peachtree. So it doesn't really uh, take a lot of imag- imagination to place All Saints in the character of uh, the young farmer in the story who uh, has had this great abundance. Um, and it doesn't really take a lot of imagination to, to place ourselves there and sometimes realize, you know, sometimes, I mean, come on, because we like to party here. Um, sometimes we do store those things up and kind of hold them back and in reserve from God, and we want to store them up and relax, right? I mean, that's just uh, a very human thing about this church. So I don't say that out of any uh, need for you to judge yourselves or feel bad or anything about yourselves or about this church or, or about the fact that we're a wealthy church and a church that, that's sitting on uh, large barns full of great abundance. Um, but it really places us in the position uh, of, of having to deal with that abundance, of saying to ourselves, well, we don't want to be like that young farmer, do we? Because the young farmer's a fool. Um, we want to do something slightly better than that, don't we? Um, I don't know if any of you heard, but I'm leaving after today. <laughs> um, and, and I have been the recipient of that abundance here. I mean, my goodness. Um, I, uh, when I think about how when I got here, 
uh, I was really a baby priest. I, I, had, I had only served in a large church for a short time um, and in a school, and I sh- served in a small church. I had so much to learn. Um, and, and luckily, I had, I had people uh, on my journey, um, uh, one in particular uh, who, who has a hyphenated last name, um, who was never hesitant about telling me her thoughts. Um, yeah, those of y'all that know her know what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, and so I've been, a, I've been the recipient of that abundance. And it's no accident today that hymn that we just sang, The Breastplate of St. Patrick, um, we actually cut a couple of verses out of it and simplified the structure of it. But that was the processional hymn at my ordination service back in 2010 um, at Holy Innocence Episcopal Church. Uh, later on, there's uh, a Rayfon Williams setting of a George Herbert poem that was sung at my ordination. And we're going to process out today to see a hamba, to marching in the light of God, which was also um, played at my ordination. Because um, you folks are, are really uh, the ones who have ordained me for service in God's church. I mean, I mean Neil Alexander, I kneeled before him and he put his hands on my head and ordained me. But I was ordained by the church, meaning the gathered body of believers, by all of you. Um, And I've been the recipient of that great abundance. And with that, y'all have done something really good and really wonderful with what that has done in my life um, and in the lives of my family. And so I want to hold this moment up for you in this parable is one that you could take along with you today because um, God not only calls the man a fool, but he says, don't you know that in this, uh, your soul is in the balance. Your soul is demanded of you. Um, In this struggle is where we find our soul as a church. In the struggle for how we take the abundance that we all uh, hold and how we give it away. Because see, uh, the, the, the Savior and Lord that we follow was not just a wise teacher, even though he was, was not just a, a, a great um, arbiter, which he also was sometime, or, or even an itinerant rabbi. Um, he was the embodiment of God, God incarnate. And how God incarnated God's self in him ultimately is that he was self-giving. He gave of himself in all that he did and all that he was, even unto giving away his life. And so if we are the body of Christ, we are Christ's body, then we are called to that same kind of self-giving, aren't we? But it's hard because uh, forces of anxiety, forces of fear, um, the fear of scarcity, like it does for the farmer, drives us to put all our grain up and go off and relax. But we can't relax, folks. We live in singular times. I mean, pick up the paper on any, any given day. Um, this morning we saw a headline out of El, El Paso. Uh, we've seen them from, from headli- similar headlines from places in, in Pittsburgh and, 
and in Dallas, Texas, and in Las Vegas. Um, you know, we live in a culture that's obsessed with violence. We live in a culture that believes that violence accomplishes things. We live in a culture um, that, that believes that love is just this nice thing in the corner, but it's force that makes things happen. We live in a culture that has uh, a, a staunch belief in the zero-sum game, that if we have some, others can't have any. Yet we follow a Lord and Savior who preaches the opposite. And if we are to be that body that he was and that he is, we have to orient ourselves differently and face in a different direction. Now, you guys are set up in a unique opportunity here because you are at a crossroads, literally. And this place is at a crossroads. New leadership for the first time in close to 20 years. A strategic plan. We have a group of people who are deciding what we're going to do with a piece of this expensive real estate. And so in some very practical and real ways, you sit at a crossroads. And within this work, it's not just practical matters of what we do and getting the most money or the most value out of a piece of dirt. But in this work sits our very soul, Jesus says. In the work of what we do with our resources and how we might leverage them for the greater church. For, and here's a clue about where I'm going, the smaller churches out there in the world that don't have what you have, that don't have large endowments and 2,500, 2,600 people on the rolls. How can you take all of that human capital, all that social capital and all that economic capital and leverage it for the good of the church? How can you continue to be a good neighbor? There, there are uh, 15,000, I think, uh, my number may be wrong, units of apartments going up, residential apartments and condos going up in this neighborhood. You will, for the first time in, in probably 50 years, have people living within walking distance of this church, many of whom, my friends, need to know the risen Christ. How will you take what you have as a church, this extraordinary wealth, and take it out of the barn and put it out on the street. Well, I want to be unchristian for a moment. One of us is Christian. I want to quote uh, a Sufi in closing. Now, one of the problems with reading a Rumi poem at the end of your sermon is that's all any of you are going to remember. <laughs> but Rumi has this this great poem called A Community of the Spirit. And you are a community of the Spirit. And in his poem, he says, uh, he has this great line, he says, uh, to be the noise in the street. Let me read this to you right quick. There's a community of the Spirit. Join it and feel the delight of walking in the noisy street and being the noise. Drink all your passion and be a disgrace. Close both eyes to see with the other eye. Open your hands if you want to be held. Sit down in this circle. Quit acting like a wolf and feel the shepherd's love filling you. Be empty of worrying. Think of who created thought. 
Why do you stand in prison when the door is so wide open? Move outside the tangle of fear thinking. Live in silence. Flow down and down in always widening rings of being. So my prayer for you, all saints, each and every day, is I pray for you each and every day, and each and every time I can remember to, and that you do the same for me, is that you continue to take this great wealth and abundance and be the noise in the street and be a church that is ever widening its circles of being and its circles of love for one another and for the church and for God and most of all, for God's children. Amen.